John Maxwell once said that everything rises and falls on leadership. And here today at the Scaling Creative Podcast, we are going to talk about leadership, which is something that you're passionate about. I love, love talking about this. And we have a special guest today. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, Jimmy Casas, he is an incredible speaker, an author, a coach. He's Mm -hmm. just really, really good at what what he does. Mm -hmm. And we had the privilege of sitting down with him and just having a conversation all about leadership. I think we'd all agree right now that this is more important than ever. We Mm -hmm. obviously have just gone through an election season and we've just gone through seeing Mm -hmm. a lot of craziness happen over the last nine months. And I think it's been really clear just how important leadership is. It's everything. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, drives everything. It drives cultures, it drives organizations. So mm-hmm. we want to just bring you this conversation that we had with him and we will get right to it because there's some good stuff in this episode. Oh, so yes. enjoy our conversation with Jimmy Casas. Okay. Well, welcome, Jimmy. Welcome to the Scaling Creative Podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm super jazzed myself. So thank you very much. It's good to see everybody again. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And it, I've gotten the chance to know you over the last couple of years mm-hmm. and you are an incredible leader, an incredible coach of leaders. And so as we mm-hmm. talked about doing leadership podcasts, you were the mm-hmm. first person that came to mind because I just know what a, I, I love, you are such a role-playing type of guy <laughs> when you coach. And I always think that that's incredible. So I wanted to have you on and I appreciate you taking some time, but can you give a little context first for those who don't know who you are, what do you do and, and kind of where are you at? Yeah. So I uh, served as an educator for 26 years. I went into the, uh, teaching profession and uh, started my career in Milwaukee Public Schools. And then I took my first principalship actually at the age of 26, which is awfully young, typically, um, but felt very you know, blessed and just grateful that I had strong mentors who saw potential in me and encouraged me and supported me. And at that time, there was just a need, right? There was a need for especially for minority males to be working in the inner city with a lot of uh, children of color. And so it was just very blessed for that. And so I continued on that journey, worked in three school districts uh, over my career. Uh, I'm from the, originally from the state of Iowa, born and raised. Uh, started my career in Milwaukee Public Schools, though, but then eventually moved back to Iowa and then served in the same capacity at two different school districts. And so overall, I served 22 years as a building, uh, building principal. And uh, I retired three and a half years ago now to start my own um, leadership company. And so today I serve as a leadership coach, and that's really my passion more than anything is trying to help support other leaders to do this very, very difficult work in terms of how to run a large organizations, especially when you have so many constituents, whether it be students or families or you know, staff or supervisors or the community or what have you. And so I feel very blessed and uh, continue to do that work today. I do keynotes and workshops and presentations, but Honestly, uh, leadership coaching is my passion. It's what I love to do more than anything. And uh, in January, I actually started my, my own publishing company. So with a partner of mine, Jeff Zoll. And so today we are the proud uh, uh, publishers of three books right now with another seven books contracted. So uh, super jazzed about that as well to be able to uh, bring the voice or voices, I should say, of others uh, and give an opportunity to publish a book and to share all the great things that that they're doing in their schools as well. So I feel very, very, very uh, grateful for those opportunities. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a lot of, I mean, my goodness, <laughs> that is a lot of leadership in every single area of your life, which is awesome. Do you remember the first time that you thought to yourself, oh, I'm a leader. I think I'm a leader. Well, I don't know if I thought it myself or more, it was came from the encouragement of my parents. Um, okay. 
ever since I was little, I used to just watch my parents and try to emulate them. And my parents, I give them a lot of credit. They are great, uh, what I would consider great community builders. Mm-hmm. Um, they are people who uh, just have a natural gift to be able to connect with others. And that is something that I observed and watched over many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father used to say to me, when I walk into a room, you make sure you leave that room with more energy than you found it. And I've never forgotten that, right? Especially in the work that we do today is so basically in his words, you know, how do you leave your impression? How do you leave your imprint? How do you, how do you remain, uh, you know, in terms of the sense, in terms of, um, you know, be noticed, right? And this whole idea of, especially as a minority growing up, and that's something, you know, all these things kind of play into it, right? There's all these different variables that come into it, but but he wanted us to be noticed, right? He didn't want us to be invisible. My parents are not formally educated, but they educated us in so many ways and they valued education. And so they made a lot of sacrifices uh, to allow us to be educated. But unfortunately that uh, didn't go over too well with me because I didn't really particularly like school. So I really struggled in school because <laughs> honestly um, it sounds crazy, but I watched my parents for so long chase, you know, the American dream and, try to make something of themselves, try to establish themselves in a community and learn the language and, you know, make an impact and be, you know, bring a benefit to that community. And so they tried to run different businesses. When I was a kid, they ran a theater. Uh, we owned a Mexican restaurant for a number of years. And of course, as I always say, uh, my parents violated every child labor law there was when we were children because they would always make this work, right? And uh, my father's actual first real job, I say real job, because they were migrant workers. My parents were migrant workers, and they made a lot of sacrifices, as I said, because their family's from Texas. And so they used to make the circuit from Texas to California to Iowa, and that's how we ended up in Iowa. But my parents really valued education and knew, like many parents, right, knew that the greatest gift that they could give their children was the, uh, the gift of an education. And so I've always been, you know, very appreciative of that. Have never forgotten that, and really want to pay it forward. So, so yeah. So um, um, I think as a little kid, it was just basically embedded in me. That was modeled to me, and I can I will tell you my first real probably experience is I was seven years old. And my father took me to a fair, and my parents were trying to build a church, so they were fundraising, mm-hmm. and we had gone to this fair, and my father uh, gave me. Um, 50 raffle tickets to go out and try to sell. And literally within like 20 minutes, I had sold them and came back and said, I need 50 more. And I ended up selling 2000 raffle tickets that day by myself as a seven year old. And, uh, and my father still tells that story today that my seven year old sold more tickets than I did. And of course, who's going to say no to a seven year old. Right. So I think he was pretty strategic in that way myself. So, so anyway, so that's, uh, I still remember that. Yeah, I love hearing people's stories because I think you can learn so much through somebody's story. Um, so that thank you for sharing that. that. That's really awesome. Are there any other leaders that you've really looked up to in your life or even modeled your own leadership after aside from your parents? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, you know, there were certainly mentors that we all have grown up. Mm-hmm. And honestly, most of those were educators or they were coaches, yeah. right? They yeah. were people... You know, ever since elementary school, I can go to my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Francis, or Mrs. Oathman, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Springman, my second grade teacher, right? Mrs. Carey, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Randleman, right? All these people who influenced in me, um, you know, at a very young age. And then obviously throughout school, but probably I would say the greatest impact that I had in school was from my high school assistant principal, Mr. Morgan, 
who really were truly, truly championed for me over and over. Because by the time I got to high school, honestly, by that time I was completely disengaged and didn't really want to be there. You know, sports kept me coming uh, back mm-hmm. for more. But the reality of it is I just never invested in my education. I just, I wanted to be a worker. I wanted to be a laborer like my parents. I just wanted to work, right? Like, I just want to get to work. And so I worked at a very young age. Uh, you know, I still, you know, my parents will tell you I had two paper routes at the age of seven illegally, right? Uh, because I wanted to work and uh, I would bust tables at a very early age. And then when I took my first, you know, pay job. You know, you couldn't work in Iowa at that time until you were 14. But I did tasseled corn. Um, I did everything to make money as a kid because I, I like to earn money. And so, but I worked all the way through and just never really cared about school uh, until Mr. Morgan uh, really was my champion. And without him, I probably never graduated from high school. But it was really important for my parents that I do become educated, right? And they really had all these dreams and aspirations. I would go to college and I would do all these things. And I had no interest in college. And, and I tell people all the time, when you don't put a lot of effort into school throughout your school history, you do have a lot of gaps. And I'll be honest, I still have those gaps today. It's not like they just kind of go away, right? I mean, those yeah. gaps are there. And you can work really hard to re-educate yourself, but you'll always pay the price because you missed an entire, you know, years of a foundation that I should have had. But, but uh, anyway, I've tried to make up for it in many different ways, and um, and so again, I just feel feel very fortunate. So, but others as well, other teachers, other administrators, and then of course, as I became an educator, you know, the Bill Daggett's of the world, the Todd Whitakers of the world, the Rick DeFords of the world. These are people in my world as an educator that I looked up to and emulated. And I've had an opportunity for all of those individuals to stand next to them, to present with them, to publish with them. So it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, that's pretty cool to be able to say that. Wow. To be able to say that you got to stand next to some of the greats is, that's cool. Um, One thing that I'm that I'm hearing and kind of making a connection with is like so many people are, um, you know, so influenced by teachers and coaches when we grow up. And I think we become adults and then we don't have any like coaches or teachers, which is why I think coaching and what you do is so important. I mean, I have a business coach, you know, I have a therapist, I have a pastor, you know, all these different people in my life. I kind of think of them as my, my board, my life, (laughs) you know, when I started a nonprofit, you had to, you had to have a board, you know, and they said to make sure it was varied and, you know, all this. So I kind of have that in my own life, but I just think it's so interesting as we talk to other leaders, hearing about who influenced them. And it's always the teachers and the coaches and their mentors. Why is it sometimes that we get older and we don't have that anymore? I don't know. Like, do you find that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, the, these life board of directors that you're, that you're talking about, right? Because the, the idea is to always remember that nobody gets where they're at without the help of others, right? But I do think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we become, when we, when we go into a profession, there's this immediate feeling like somehow, you know, again, I know that we start off in the profession, but at some point people look to us as experts, almost like in the profession. right? And I'm not sure we're really ever experts, right? I think we're always, all of us are growing and evolving in the role of whatever it happens to be. I think when we start thinking that we got there or that we're there, I think that's when we're in trouble. But there is something to do with, I think it kind of fools us, right? Like even when I went to the principalship, like I thought I was supposed to do it by myself. I was ready. I was getting my building. Uh, I take a lot of pride. I have a lot of passion. I have a lot of confidence. 
I can't wait to get started. I want to show the world what I can do. And so then we just kind of try to take it all on, right? Mm -hmm. And then when we do that, we realize at some point, we really can't do it by ourselves, but maybe it's too late because we don't want to go back and admit that, right? Like, I don't want to admit that I failed. I don't want to admit that I need help. And somehow, I think people who go into leadership roles, I think we all have kind of a DNA, a certain DNA, a disposition about us that we have a set, we do have a sense of confidence. We believe that in ourselves, right? And we're always striving to be better. There's just mm -hmm. something about that. And maybe sometimes it just fools us and we begin to think that maybe I can do it all by myself. And I'll be honest, in my situation, like there was a little bit of ego in it too. Like I want to show people that I can do this, right? And then once you kind of get there, it's like, mm, I'm not sure I want to admit that I can't do it by myself. And so, yeah. but you're absolutely right, right? If you look at the best athletes in the world, they all have coaches, right? Mm -hmm. You look at athletic teams from professional to college, the youth, I mean, people have coaches. I mean, they're coaches yeah. helping us because they give us a different perspective and they inspire us and they move us. And hopefully they instill in us this belief that we can actually make anything happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was lucky because in my 16th year as a principal, I actually took on a leadership coach in my building. And, and that kind of changed me, right. To kind of made me realize at that time, this is something I think I want to do someday because I know how much it helped me. And I wish that I would have had him early on in my career, because honestly, it could have it could have saved me a lot of anguish and a lot of issues and a lot of pain and just yeah. a lot of stress and a lot of failure. Uh, if I would have known better, I just, you know, people know what they know. Right. That's it. And so we have to continue to surround ourselves with people, hopefully who know more than we do and build a relationship that we can trust people who give us feedback. But they do it with the intent because they want us to make us better. They want us to be great. And if we can take that feedback without getting our feelings hurt, without getting defensive, then I think we're well on our way, as I say, to live in our excellence every day. Because we can talk about excellence all day long. But the reality is there's a lot of people who talk it. And there's not as many people who live it. And there's a big difference between talking about excellence and living that excellence every day. Now, Jimmy, I've gotten a chance to see you obviously do a lot of coaching in person. and You do obviously an outstanding job of that. What would you say are some of the most common mistakes you see leaders that you've worked with make mm. from the beginning, especially new leaders. Yeah, Scott, you're right. And I, and I appreciate that because I know you and I've had a little opportunity to spend some time together and you kind of see it. But I'll speak from the perspective of school culture and school leadership. It can also be business culture. It's no different, right? Any organization that employs people mm -hmm. or has people in the organization. So here's how I see it. And again, this is just my opinion. I never pretend like I have a monopoly on this, but I also don't just say things flippantly. I try to show people, right? So one thing I always say is this, and this is kind of goes into the talks that I share with people, but I do believe this, that the biggest issue that we're facing in our organizations and in our professions always comes down to leadership issues. It almost always has that domain. It's, it's somewhere in us that creates it. And so if you think about it, every organization has a culture and this is what we see. But what we fail to see is that there is a subculture underneath that culture. And I call those the undercurrents. And the hard part to accept is that typically people in leadership positions actually are creating most of those undercurrents when it comes to culture. They just don't know it. They don't see it. They don't have processes in the place to even begin to identify it. And so what happens, and this is where I believe separates effective leaders from ineffective leaders, is ineffective leaders look outward. They begin to find who to blame in the system. This person isn't doing their job. The kids aren't doing the homework. The parents are too pushy. 
the teachers are underperforming, whatever the issue is, in my opinion, ineffective leaders always begin to look outward to look to where they're going to place the blame at. And the most effective leaders look inward first and recognize, wonder what I did to contribute to that, wonder what I said or what I did or didn't do that may have led to that, caused that, played a part in that. And I think if we can get people to flip their, their, their mindset and think differently about it, and if they can accept that and let some of that ego go and go, no, do you have the ability to actually reflect on your own practices? Because without self-reflection, there is no growth, in my opinion, right? Very few things are all or nothing. We, all of us, contribute something to whatever the result is of where, whatever came back to us. And so what I try to do is try to help people identify and understand where they are creating those undercurrents. So some of the biggest undercurrents right now that are happening in our schools that I'm dealing with have to do with things of uh, our inability to communicate effectively, which means with clarity and in a timely manner. In other words, a lot of leaders are not even communicating at all very effectively, or they don't recognize that their ineffectiveness in their communication created most of those issues, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we hear a lot of things from staff where they get frustrated with leaders because they feel there isn't enough consequences or the people, whether it's students or their peers, are not being held accountable for their performance, right? In other words, they're not doing their job and nothing happens to these people. The kids aren't behaving and nothing happens to them. And I would say probably the third biggest issue I'm seeing right now is in the issue of uh, the belief that leaders have favorites in the organization. Right. And that they're playing favorites, that they have there's favoritism going on. Mm -hmm. And honestly, there is. Right. If we can just accept that and understand, well, why is that and why is that happening? So if we could shift the mindset to say, well, how do I create a culture where everybody in the organization feels like the favorite person? Right. Now, that's pretty awesome. Right. If you can do that. And so people think, well, can I really do that? And the reality is, well, you can if you don't think you can. But if you believe you can, then let's make it happen. Right. So processes and frameworks and structures in order to create a system are critical because without the system, then you have all these inequities and those inequities is what causes these undercurrents. And so people start keeping score. There's a natural tendency that people keep score about who gets what and who doesn't have this and who has a better relationship and why I didn't get a raise and why are they allowed to not come to work today and nothing happens to them and all these different inequities that they perceive but it's real to them. Well, it's because we created that somehow in the way we manage those situations. And so if we're not careful, we actually create a lot of divisions within our culture. And our job, in my opinion, is the healthiest cultures, the leaders have an ability to build a community, a community of leaders of people who come together and they have a mission, they know their why, they have a vision, right? They know their what, what do they hope to become? And they, most importantly, they have these values. And the values is their agreements of how they're going to behave in order to fulfill the mission and achieve the vision of the organization. And that takes a skill set to bring a group of people together to move together in the organization. And, uh, and so that's why I say, I think we're responsible. The leaders are responsible for the culture and climate of their organizations. It's not the employees. Um, it's not the kids in the school, it's us as the leaders, but we can't do it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So all these little variables come into play, right? There's no, 
I tell people culture, you know, it can be one incident that happens, but typically ineffective cultures that are suffering the morale, it's like a thousand little pieces coming together to create this issue, right? It's, that's why culture is everything, but it really comes down, in my opinion, to how we behave in the organization. And the way people behave in the organization will define the culture of your organization. Yeah. And so we just have to recognize that. And then hopefully, hopefully, if we have the skills, we not only invite people to lead with us, we not only encourage people to lead with us, but hopefully we inspire people to want to lead with us. And, that's really what and Jimmy, about. I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Obviously, as thinking about it more from like an organization, a large organization with a CEO or something, building a, a community of people that you can share ideas with and bounce ideas off of it can can get you in trouble on the side of it that you can't always share with everybody in an organization certain things that you're processing. And I know that there's like good and bad in that. How important do you feel like it is for leaders to surround themselves with people outside of their organization versus just a community of people internally as well? Yeah, I mean, if you think of a look at it, right, there's always this balance, right, in terms of you know, who can you talk to in terms of confidential way, right? You have a confidential mind. Let's go back to the coach. The idea of the coach is to have somebody that you can share ideas, you can share frustrations, you can vent, you can get ideas, you can brainstorm, you can do all these things. But Scott, here's actually where I thought you were going with the question when you first started, but, you know, kind of, it, I think it all plays, comes together, right? And that is this. The question comes down to this, whether the organization is this large corporation or it's a, it's a regular sized business or it's small business, right? It's a restaurant, it's, a, it's your business, right? It's my business. It really comes down to, in my opinion, and I've always believed this, that cultures still are rooted in the basis of how much we're willing to invest in relationships with others. It still comes down to relationships because relationships builds the trust. And what I mean by that is this, is that in healthy businesses and healthy cultures, people know people's stories, right? Michaela just said that how important it is to know people's stories because that brings value to people, right? And if we can understand that the reason people behave the way they behave, well, typically it's because of their past experiences. These past experiences shape individuals in, in, in the sense of, well, why do they get defensive? I don't know, but let's find out why right? Why did they get their feelings hurt? I don't know, but let's find out why. Why did they get up and walk out of the room? I don't know, but let's find out. Why aren't they doing the work? I don't know. Let's find out why, but let's not judge it. Let's not make assumptions. If I knew my people and I had invested in my people, then I know why certain individuals are only able to give me so much today or right now or in this moment, because if we knew their story, we wouldn't judge it. We wouldn't be so quick to dismiss something or we wouldn't be so quick to go gossip. So the idea is to invest our personal time and others to get to know their story. Because I feel like when we don't do that or we're not willing to do that or we don't want to do that, it's kind of like we're basically devaluing people. What we're saying is, you know what, it's not worth it. You know, he's not worth it. She's not worth it. That's just the way she is. That's the way he is. And every time we label people, we just basically, we hold them hostage. What we really say is you're never going to be able to reach your full potential because I've already labeled you that this is who you are. And I think that is such a reckless way to lead organizations. And so if we look at our, if we look at our team, if we look at our staff, if we look at the organization, the people within that organization, 
again, is how do we relate to people and how do we build uh, relationships with people so they feel confident? So if they're confident, then they feel capable. And if they feel capable, then they're willing to make more connections. And so this idea of how we connect with people, connectivity is critical in the work that we do. And so I always say, you know, we're all, honestly, we are all one caring individual away from achieving greatness. We just need people to invest in us and believe in us and champion for us. And that is powerful. And if we can create that culture where people want other people to be successful, right? I didn't get in the profession to be successful. I got in the profession to help others be successful. And I believe in doing that. It will come back full circle to me. I think yeah. that's what defines it to me. Yeah. Mm. So as you were talking, I was thinking um, when you lack understanding, you lack compassion. And so I think as a leader, it's so important to understand your people and the people that you're leading. Because without that, you just, you do, you lack compassion. I was actually even thinking just like a life situation where, so my daughter is obviously e-learning, right? And there's this one kid in her class that I just was like, I don't understand, you know, da, 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 whatever. But, and I'm not going to lie. I was judging the kid a little bit. I, I really was. And then, um, I heard a little bit more of his story one day as he was sharing some things and immediately my heart softened toward him because of hearing a little bit of his story and things that he's been through and what he's had to overcome. I'm like, oh, but in that moment too, I was talking to my daughter about this because I think it's important to share <laughs> even as adults. Like when I'm like, I made a mistake. I judged Jack a little bit and this is why now hearing a story, but it was just this conversation that ended up my, you know, Malin and I were just talking about the importance of understanding people and so I loved what you said but that just kind of came to my mind when we lack understanding we lack compassion and I've seen you do that a lot Jimmy with um with some of the one-on-one coaching too where where I I love how you put yourself and it kind of seems like that's kind of what you're doing in your leadership where you kind of you like to really put yourself like in their shoes. And I love when you do your role playing, you literally like, will step on their side and then you step on the other side. You're just so, so good at that. But it feels like that's a lot of what that is, right? Because it's trying to get people to understand how someone else would perceive yeah. something when you don't necessarily think that, like, you know, you say something to somebody, you're like, why in the world would they have taken it that way? Yeah. Well, but you don't understand how they heard it. And I feel like you do that right? so well of kind of putting yourself back and forth when you coach. What, what, why do you do that? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you're saying, right? Because again, it goes back to remember, most people only see what they see. They only know what they know. So to me, what I think effective coaches do is they do a couple of things. Number one is they're able to ask really good questions and they're also use really good analogies. So here's my point. There are two types of cultures, in my opinion, that we create in organizations. We can either create a culture of compliance, which means we're basically just constantly telling people what to do in the organization and they'll do it, right? The problem is it isn't the healthiest way to do it. And and not only that, in my opinion, it doesn't sustain over a long period of time. We want people who have a lot of pride in their work that do the work because they're invested in it. They believe in it. It brings value to them. They like the way it makes them feel. They like the results they get from it, right? So in other words, we want to help people see that. If we don't do a very good job of that, in my opinion, it becomes more about compliance. 
So what I try to do, again, these aren't perfect systems. I would never be that disingenuous, but I think we're pretty highly effective in at least the results that we're getting and what we're hearing from our clients is that I used to tell people what to do all the time. That's not coaching. That to me is consulting. I'm not a consultant. I'm a coach. I'm not here to tell people what to do. Now, will I consult if I have to? Yes, but only if I feel like the person's going to put themselves in a really bad position by doing something. Then I'm going to say, you know what, Scott, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. And here's, but then I'm going to explain why. And then I'm going to offer them a better perspective and hopefully help them see why that would not have been a good choice, right? Again, I don't want to just leave it, don't do it. They need to understand what that would have, what would have happened or what would have come from that had they moved forward. So I've got to paint that picture. So what I'm always trying to do is show people, right? Not tell people. So what I try to do is I try to influence the way people think. So as I'm moving around or I'm explaining or I'm using questions or I'm using analogies, all I'm trying to do is influence the way they're thinking about something. Because if I can get them to see it on their own, in other words, not tell them, I want to see if they can actually come to their own conclusion then my experience is this, if I can influence their thinking, then they'll change their own behavior. And if they change their own behavior, that is not only healthier, but much more sustainable. So that's what I try to do. So I see myself more as a person who tries to influence others, not trying to tell people what to do. So if you look at it this way, so my model is kind of like a 60, 30, 10, 60% I'm coaching, 30% I'm collaborating, 10% I'm consulting. And the collaborating is more about problems of practice. We're sitting down, we're working through things together. I'm still asking questions, but we're kind of partnering and trying to resolve the situation like a problem of practice. But in the first episode, I'm spending most of my time just asking questions. I need to understand how leaders think before I can come in and try to steer them where I think they need to be steered in order for them to see what I need them to see. So again, if they, if they do something, if they do, for example, they could delegate something to somebody, right? You ever done this, delegate something to somebody and then they didn't do it the way you wanted them to do it? Like you didn't like the results or they messed something up or they didn't do it the way you hoped that they would have done it? Or, or have you ever done this where you said, you know what, I could explain it to them, but by the time I explained it to them, heck, I could already had it done, I'll just do it myself, right? <laughs> these are, right. So these are, these are, these are, and again, from a leadership perspective, these things are real, right? And these cause all sorts of undercurrents in an organization. They just don't see it because here's the thing. So an easy solution is this. Number one, don't ever assume that when you delegate something to somebody that they have the skills to do it the way you want them to do it. If you delegated and you made that assumption, that is on you as a leader for assuming that that person had the skills. And then we want to turn around and I, I say this works, Scott, right? You know then we awfulize these people, right? We awfulize them, we blame them. No, blame me. I should have never put Scott in that position unless I knew for sure that he had the skills to do what I wanted to do. So I need a framework for that. See, and leaders, most leaders do not think this way because, well, they don't teach us this stuff in leadership school. So I've gotta be very clear in my expectations so we communicate what it is we want the individual to do. But that still isn't enough because what we need to do, in my opinion, is we need to show them what the ex what the standard looks like. In other words, if I want Scott to do it in an excellent manner, then I have to show him what I mean by excellence. Either I have to model it for him or I have to bring somebody else in to model it for him. Right.
right? That's the only way he's going to know. Because I can tell him, Scott, I want you to do a really great job. You hear me? You do a really good job. I want to make sure you do this. I know, but it still is not the same as let me show you mm-hmm. what I mean by that. And then the next piece is even then you can't just release people. I've got to go with Scott because I need to observe him because I need to be there. So if he steps, if he goes too far, he makes a mistake. I'm there to kind of pick up the pieces for him. So he doesn't do damage. So he doesn't lose credibility, right? So he doesn't bring harm to the business, but someone's got to coach him through that. So it's like the training component of it too, right? But I've got to coach him, but I've got to give him feedback when we're done. Hey, what went well? What did you think? Hey, so let me ask you this. Do you remember when you said that? What, what, what was the result when you said that? Do you remember? And then he'll say, it. yep, exactly. So let's think about it. Is there a different, what were you trying to get from that? What was, what was your hope? Is there a different way you could have managed it? What did you see happen? What, how did the person respond? I mean, these are all coaching questions until we get them to see it. And then we come back and say, so after having said all that, let's think through this. What would have been a more effective way to approach that that would have gotten you a better result? And then we'll just sit and see how we see if he can see it. If he can't, I'll ask him more questions. I'll keep taking, then I use some analogies. And then once I'm done, now when he's ready, him and I talk about it and I say, Scott, you ready? I think you got this, my man. I think you're ready. Let's do it. You're on your own. And then I release them. So it's that framework to communicate, to model, right? And then to observe and coach people and then release them. And then there's always the follow back up because you can't just release them forever. You still should periodically check back in because that's the investment of time in people. That's how you build your capacity. You build capacity by helping others create a skill set that allows them to do it at the standard that you want them to do it at. And for those leaders that are constantly saying, heck, I'll just do it myself. Yeah, that's not good because that's not sustainable. That's not healthy. That's called burnout. And not only that, you're never building your capacity because what you're basically saying to others is I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. And I'm going to show you that I'm the boss and I can do everything. And I'm a superhuman and I work more hours than everybody else. And I'm going to You know, that's not effective leadership. Effective leaders build leaders. They multiply the capacity within the organization. Everybody should be able to have, in other words, anybody should be able to step in at any time and be able to have the skills to do what needs to be done to continue to move forward in a positive way and an effective way. If not, it's because we created that gap. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you always say too. I know you always all, all the time and when you speak to the model the behavior that you want to see repeated. I just have always that that's always stuck with me because mm-hmm. I think it's just it is so important. Yeah. Yeah. What we model is what we get, right? So we better not ask others to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. And therefore it really comes down to modeling. Like John Wooden, I love that quote, right? The most powerful leadership tool we have is our own personal example. Yeah. We can always remember that. Right. So the best leadership tool you have. Let me show you. Yeah. It's also yeah. the best parenting tool yeah. <laughs> that you could have. Because, you know, being a parent, I think, is just being a leader within your home, you know, with, with your kids. I can see why you're a good coach, Jimmy. I feel like I just I, I feel like I should pay you money right now. <laughs> well, you, and what else is, and, I, and I know you are. And what I what I what I love, too, is when you were saying about how you influence people's thinking it's it's cool because I've gotten a chance to see this obviously first person mm-hmm. where you you know will pick and question and question and question and then eventually there's that ah mm-hmm. there's that aha moment and it is such a right. big difference when you make the person get that yep. moment rather than just forcing here's what you should do right but making them do yeah. it 
definitely changes their yeah, whole yeah. their whole mentality. Well, I love that. It's like the what you said, the coach versus the consultant type of yeah. mentality. So, yeah, Jimmy, if you the coach principles, because what you're trying to do is also see if this makes sense. And I tell them this up front: I want to coach you and model for you because that's what I want you to do with your staff. You need to coach your staff. See, we evaluate too much, I believe, in our in our world, right? We're always constantly evaluating people. So now we have our performance evaluation. And let's be honest, those make people nervous. It can be threatening. There isn't enough investment. So they have to see you as their coach, right? I get it. We're bosses. I mean, people in the business world might disagree with me. But if they think about it just for a second, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be given a performance evaluation. I'm not saying they should be evaluated. But what I'm saying is there comes a time and place to evaluate, but we need to make sure that people are being treated fairly and they're being treated in a caring way. We don't play gotcha games with people. We don't walk in and just fire people today because we're upset at them or they didn't perform their job. If, if you wait and we fire somebody at the end, I'm going to say then you should have fired them back in October right. because you already knew in October they couldn't do the job, right? Now I'm talking about performance issues. I'm not talking about you know, serious breaches of discipline, right? They stole from the company or something like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about performance because those are the biggest issues right now. It's the thing that consumes your time. People not doing their job effectively, right? So is it a skill issue or is it a will issue? If it's a skill issue, then I'm going to ask what training do we put in place? What support systems, what guidance, what resources have we given them the time? Are we taking something off their plate? Are we setting up for success? I mean, there's all these things that come in when we're trying to help people grow and develop. What is your system? I see this all the time. People come in, they get upset. And I say, well, what support systems do you have in place? Well, I hired them as principals. They should have those skills. Well, they don't. So we better put something in place to help them. So we're blaming. That's what I'm saying. We're blaming these individuals. But what we're not saying is, no, I didn't do a very good job of growing develop. So it's no different. If that person failed, I feel like I failed them. And so that's how coaching works. It's no different to me is how do we I want to coach people to help them develop a skill set so they then in turn coach teachers. And then if we can create that system, then the, next, the best part is this. Then hopefully teachers are coaching kids rather than evaluating because this is what we see every day in schools. It's called a grade. We hold it over kids. We punish kids. You didn't get your assignment undone. You didn't do your homework. And so it's a different mindset. And some people don't agree with me. They disagree with me because they think we're well, just coddling your enabling. I said, well, no, if that happens, that's on me then. I have high expectations, just as high as you do. We're just going to take different paths to get there. I want kids invested in it, not doing it out of fear, not doing it out of compliance. Because let's be honest, when you're not around, the question is, are they still doing it? They won't. If not, if you're not around, oh, they'll do it out of fear. But that's not the same, in my opinion. In my opinion, it is not the same level of productivity that you're going to get. And it's not going to be as sincere and genuine and they're not going to invest in much because they're not into it. They're just doing it because they 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 know if they don't do it, there's going to be a consequence. And that sounds pretty punitive to me. Yeah, um, it sounds like it, let me know if you would agree with this. But I think when it comes to leadership, something that's really important is their emotional agility. <laughs> you know, like people we live in this like very reactive society and I feel like some of the best leaders that I've tried to model myself after or I've loved being under their leadership is I observe the way they react or that space between stimulus and reaction that space like how do they handle 
themselves in that space is really important. But do you feel like the, someone's emotional agility is so important in their leadership? Absolutely. I mean, I see this all the time. I mean, we've got people that honestly, they, they, they're scared, right? Because they know there's going to be some sort of emotional reaction. So now they can't even be truthful or anything, right? So, so here's how I want you to think about it two ways. Number one is this. One thing I always say is this. Leadership is not how you behave or respond when you know what to do. It's how you mm-hmm. behave and respond when you don't know what to do, yeah. right? Let, show me how you respond and when you react when you're not sure what to do here. Because everybody's watching you. And let's see how you respond to this moment. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is this, it's kind of quickly run a mantra through your head and you can do this even yourself. So this is almost like just self, right? You can self-regulate right here, right? Mm-hmm. And the way you self-regulate is when something happens, you quickly, just very quickly, of course, I don't have to do this anymore, but I used to, but you can quickly say in your head, is this going to matter a minute from now, an hour from now, a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now? And you know what I learned over time? Almost always no. So then I'm not sure why I'm getting so upset and bent out of shape about this because this ain't going to matter an hour from now. So yeah. almost self-regulation is just as important as trying to regulate others. So think about that as a parent, right? Yeah. A child spills something. You said, hey, move that glass over before you knock it over. Move that glass before you knock it over. And then they knock it over. And then we get upset at them as opposed to saying, honestly, that is not going to matter an hour from now. Right. So why am I getting so upset about it? I'd rather look at the kid and say, well, how did that work out for you? Not too good, huh? Okay. So let's get something, clean it up. And that's it. It's over. Well, I mean, I'm not sure why we create this big explosion about it, but we see this happening, right, all the time. And, and so what happens it begins to emulate and model, and we wonder why there's so many emotional issues that we have in children today, because I think they're watching us as parents. That's where they're learning it. They're watching our responses. And then everything is the end of the world to them, the way they manage something, right? The way they, and again, you know, I'm not child psychologist here. But as kids grow up and watch the adults around them, they're learning from the adults. And that's why oftentimes we're somewhat hypocritical. That's why, yeah, mm-hmm. that happened recently. Uh, my, uh, the dog barked or something, and, and my little five-year-old yelled, shut it. And then I was like, why would you say that? And I'm like, oh, that's what I guess I say every single time that the dog, because it's once again, model of behaviors, yeah. right? Like yeah. kids, yeah. You, you, realize, you don't realize how many times you say the same thing until your kid says, and you're like, wow, yeah. that's literally what I say every single time. It's and so it's, true. But it's kind of the same organization, right? It's like if you mm-hmm. go to a, a restaurant and there are miserable people that are, are servers, most mm-hmm. likely if you find that manager or the person that's their boss, they're probably miserable mm. because yeah. it doesn't. It, you go into Chick Fil A, you don't go into Chick. You don't go into Chick Fil A yeah. and see a terrible culture. They almost like working in complete fear and anxiety, like they're going to mess up an order or something. Like, come on, and people are doing the best they can. But, you know, again, I would say to the manager, well, it sounds like you didn't train them effectively. Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's true. I love what you said about like the ineffective leadership and effective is ineffective looks outward, looks to place blame. And then the effective leader looks looks inward. Um, So I have a question for you. If you could sit down at a table, have a have a cup of coffee with with little Jimmy, which is 26, new principal. Um, what would that conversation look like? Where would you start? What advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I'd always say is it kind of goes back, because I already know the mistakes that I made, right, at 26. The first one would have been I wouldn't try to do this job all by myself. But the truth of it is I didn't have the skills at that time to do the job at a high in a high uh, performing way. I just right. didn't, right? And that's what I worry about today. I think there are a lot of people putting being put, put in positions 
um, who are just not ready and it's not their yeah. fault. Right. And so they're going to do the best they can. And, uh, but we better surround these people with support systems. And that's why I'm such a big believer in coaching. That's why I coach today because life experiences, I, I tell people, I don't want you making the same mistakes I made for 12 years. Right. I want you, it shouldn't take us 12 years. Right. But when you don't have those resources and support and people haven't invested in you the way we need to invest, then, then these things are going to happen. That'd be the first thing I'd say. The second thing is this is to understand, and you kind of touched on a little bit is what I didn't realize at the time probably was the emotional toll that being a leader takes on you. And here's why, because especially if you're somewhat empathetic and compassionate and you do believe in the good of people, then what happens is I feel like you have all this information, right? Because you know what all of your people are going through and yet you have to maintain confidentiality. So my point is this, I always ask people is you spend so much time taking care of everybody else. At some point we need to ask the question, who's taking care of you? Yep. And, um, and to realize that, you know, I call it life fit everybody's where they're at based on their life fit. I don't like the word balance because the balance implies 50, 50, right? And that's not fair. It, you can't balance being a mother, a professional and a wife. That's three parts. And it's going to be really hard to balance that. And so we have to give ourselves permission. So we don't feel guilty that if I'm a single mother with two children under the age of the five, I'm just in a different life fit than Jimmy Casas, who has a 28 year old, a 25 year old and 20 year old. Yeah. I'm not in the same life fit, right? But if I, again, if we go back to what I said earlier, if I've invested in relationships and I know my people and I'm able to share a vision with the organization that says, listen, I am going to treat people differently. And here's why, because you're all in different places. You all have different skill sets. You all are different parts of your life. I'm not going to say all of you are going to work 60 hours this week when this poor single dad over here isn't going to be able to do that. But if I have people that are single, people that are uh, more veteran whose children are grown, maybe for now, for this month, they can give me a little bit more, but they also understand why they're doing it. And more importantly, they, they're not critical of the other. In other words, they're not keeping score because we're transparent in our communications. They trust the relationship. They know that I would never put them in harm's way because they know I care deeply about them. Well, that's what we're trying to create when it comes to culture. And so to me, effective leaders know their people because they still know it's a people job and it's about how they connect with their people and how they build trust. Because if you don't have trust in your organization, it's going to be really hard to have a successful organization. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're coaching people, do you have to do a lot of uh self-image work because so I coach single women in their season of life and I find I, I really start a lot with their self-image how they see themselves the story that they're telling themselves about themselves in their own narrative do you find that in leadership coaching as well yeah I do but it's, it maybe looks a little bit different but I, there's a lot of crossover right there's still a lot of crossover right because if, if an individual doesn't have confidence in themselves, you're going to see that right away, right? Even in their leadership skills and how it comes out. So, so absolutely. But I'll be honest. I, I try to get a little bit of that information. And what I'm trying to do, honestly, is I actually like trying to figure out their leadership style because I'm not even sure they even know their own leadership style, right? Mm -hmm. They'll tell me what it is, but I'm not sure they really know, right? 
they, in other words, they take an attribute or a characteristic and say, well, I'm a very passionate leader, right? But then when I ask them to define that and what does that mean and what does that look like, they really struggle, right? They want to say, well, I just care so much, right? Well, okay, all right, <laughs> right? So, so what I try to do is really try to help them shape kind of what their leadership style is. And then again, it's through questioning, right? And so part of it's trying to understand and help them understand and that's, and, and, and you know, self-awareness is critical component of, of effective leaders, right? Yeah. Effective leaders are pretty self-aware, yep. but they don't use excuses. Like I, I hear this all the time. Well, you just have to understand that's just the way I am. Well, how's that working for you, right? <laughs> are you going to accept that from an employee? Are you going to accept that from a staff member? Are you going to accept that from a student, right? Because one thing I hear a lot is people say, well, you just have to understand that's just kind of the way I am. And I've always been that way. So that's just kind of who I am. Yeah, well, it's not effective and you better relearn a different way or you're going to struggle, right? Because you can't expect your people to grow and get better. But you as the leader say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm sorry, but I know sometimes I come across as harsh. You do. And you better figure out a different way of coming across to get your message or you're not going to be in this business very long. Right. And it's really interesting. to me, And that kind of goes back to the core values. And I'll kind of close by saying this is. You know, when I wrote the book Culturize, I was focused on four core values that I eventually figured out and how I wanted to lead. And I wanted definitely to be a champion for kids and I wanted to be a champion for the staff. And, and then I needed to define that, which mean, to me meant this, that I was never going to quit on a kid. I was never going to quit on a staff member. But it also meant that when people weren't performing at the level that I expect them to perform, that I needed to invest more in that relationship to find out. And that is so critical, right? And I believe that kind of goes to the core principle four. So I'll skip a couple here. But the last core principle is to be a merchant of hope. And it kind of ties in with number one, because the bottom line is this. I do believe all kids want to be great. I do. I don't think kids come to school and want to be failures. I don't think kids come to school and don't want to be successful. I think what happens, they lose confidence. They don't feel capable. They don't feel connected. And when they begin to lose their way somewhere along their journey, and, and we see this transition happen, especially from middle school to high school. There's something there in that age where we see kids begin to give up a little bit. And, uh, and we have to recognize that. But adults are no different. I call that kind of my edge of the couch moment. And if you ever had an edge of the couch moment professionally or professionally, it's not a good place to be, right? Whether you're on the ledge or the edge of the couch, you're just in a bad place in a bad space, right? So how do we help people get out of that? Core principle number two is about expecting excellence. And Scott already mentioned that. That is about modeling. It's all about modeling the behaviors we want to see repeated. In other words, we should never ask others to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. Yeah. So if you think about that, we're champion for kids and adults is about relationships. Uh, core principle number four is about hope. Core principle two, expect excellence, is about modeling. Honestly, my favorite core principle is core principle number three because it's called carry the banner. And that is really all about creating experiences for others. In other words, when you engage, when you have a conversation, when you have an interaction, when you're in a meeting, when you walk away from that individual, what you have to ask yourself is, will that individual or will those individuals carry the banner for me? Mm. In other words, I create an experience for them that hopefully moves them, inspires them, and they want to emulate it. And you give them an experience that they weren't expected, right? And so if you think about that, even with your own children, before you interact with your child, when that interaction's over, is your child going to walk away saying, 
oh, my mom loves me so much or she that child going to walk away thinking that my mom is really upset at me right now. Right. And again, I'm not judging whatever result it is. I'm just right. saying when you begin to think about it that way, think about your spouses. If I do that, is my spouse going to feel is, is it going to surprise my spouse in the sense of, wow, I wasn't expecting that, right? You create an experience for them that lifts them up. It fills their cup. That's what we want. And so it's just a different way of looking at it. So that to me was critical. If I was going to deal with an upset parent, now I'm going to approach that differently because I want that upset parent leaving that school and carrying the banner for Jimmy Constance. I want that student discipline situation I want them carrying the banner. And this is what I say to teachers all the time. When you're when the students go home at night, are they sitting at the kitchen table talking about your class, how awesome it was, how much they loved your class, how much they love you? In other words, you're creating experiences for these kids that they look at you like a hero, right? Or are they going home and saying, I don't like my teacher. She's so mean. She's so grouchy. He's this. He's that. Well, you're creating that. They're creating that experience. So, so create experiences for others because it can't just be us carrying the banner. In your profession, your clients your experience that you have with them, you need your clients carrying the banner for, for your organization if you're going to ever survive in this world as a, as a business, right? Because it's called word of mouth. It's called the best advertisement marketing there is. And yeah. that's what I try to do even my coaching is try to create experiences for people that they want to then carry the banner for me or carry the banner for our our job or a profession, or in this case, Jay Costin Associates. So. That's mm. so good. Jimmy, I appreciate your time. Before yeah. we go, I want to let you at least, uh, where can people find you and, and maybe inquire about getting some of this incredible coaching that you do? Yeah, the best place to go, always start, is to go to the website, Jay Costas and Associates, and just uh, send your inquiry in, and then we'll set up a call and have a conversation and see if there's a need, and if there's some way we can support that. If not, we'll, we'll try to figure out and help you in other ways, right? Um, and then of course on social media and LinkedIn, if there's also opportunities there. So whether it's uh, Twitter and Instagram are probably my two largest followings. And so that would be at Casas underscore Jimmy for both uh, Twitter and Instagram, or they can follow us on YouTube, uh, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Jay Casas and Associates. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Appreciate it. Stay well out there. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. So we'll talk to you real you soon. Thank okay. you. Good luck to you. Okay. Keeping you in my thoughts, my prayers. Hang in there. I know it's tough times right now. Another great conversation with another incredible leader. Holy smokes. I really enjoyed that. Was there a major aha moment or takeaway that you had? I'm over here. <laughs> I don't try to remember all the notes. It felt like notes. we paid for a coaching session just I, now right? we were in his class. Like I know. That's why I'm like, yes. I mean, I, I think getting the chance to spend some time with him and hear some of the things that he's done, the that undercurrents thing and the subculture yeah i can see how important that really is yes because it, it's really like you sometimes don't realize yeah. all the things that are going on underneath mm -hmm. and yet you are kind of the one that drives whether those even exist at all without realizing it yeah and it can be easy to yet whether it's you know you talked a little bit about you know picking favorites and all mm -hmm. that it's it can be tricky because you're you're not always even aware, aware of yeah. how you're doing in yeah. those things, and yet yep. that drives a huge aspect of what your organization. I think the yeah. way to doing. find out what is going on in that undercurrent, though, like it's not always apparent to if you're like to the, the leader. Top dog, yeah, yeah. You have to have uh, an environment that welcomes feedback mm -hmm. in order to actually mm -hmm. learn what mm -hmm. that is. Yeah, in the subculture. Yep. yep, and then you can try to flip it, but yep. it's never—it's mm -hmm. not always just apparent and right there what's happening. Right. With yeah, your, with your people, especially when you are a leader, 
and you're not necessarily like in the <laughs> in the middle of that, yeah, you, you know. Don't see them every single yeah, day. you don't see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even um, even in like a past conversation when, that we had with Joe, just you know having some of his staff be feeling comfortable enough to mm-hmm. come to him with some of those things, um, you know, is really. And an I almost think about piece. it too. Like it, it's, I think it can be easy to kind of build that culture of allowing feedback and all that. And then sometimes people lose it as an organization grows. Mm. It almost reminds me of like, in the, you know, the stage, obviously I have a small business, but it's like trying to start to put those things into place as regular. Like I try the best I can now of constantly meeting with people and trying to figure that out and yeah. hear feedback, but trying to actually put things in place that mm. are essential things you do all the time mm-hmm. so that as you grow, Yep. It's a normal thing that is not like now, how do I handle this? Right. Handle this? So whether it's putting a support system mm-hmm. around you that they get initial feedback, which then comes to yep. you or something, because yeah. it's easy to kind of have direct every day, see everyone you're a part of when you're when a part you're of small. a small organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you lose what made you so great small mm-hmm. because of some of those things, I yeah. think it could get you in big trouble. Which is why, and I think it was Jimmy that said, or um, the there's management and there's leadership and they're two different skills because managing you manage systems you manage programs budget you know like that kind of stuff the support in your business and you have to have that you have to manage those things but then you also have to be a leader to the people of coaching and guiding and mentoring so having you might need to manage some type of system Mm -hmm. that would allow the flow of communication type Mm -hmm. of thing so i think leadership is such a um a harmony of leading people and managing mm-hmm. systems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think sometimes it's just way easier to lead than other times. I mean, this this whole situation we're in now is just yeah. so tricky for people. It is. That yeah, there's so much. There's so many things that people are just not really sure how to deal with it. And, right. And I love in in this kind of series that we talked mm-hmm. about just the importance of just that authenticity. Yeah. And, and not always mm-hmm. having the answer is sometimes. Mm-hmm the answer yeah well that's okay (laughs) yeah and the one thing he said was it's how you behave when you don't know what to do you know that is just really really good i loved his self-regulation of is this going to matter an hour a day a week a year that that hit hard control and that hits hard as a a parent yeah oh my gosh yeah for sure but yeah that's Mm -hmm. so good i mean yeah yeah that's so and it kind of goes back to initial thing we talked about of just how you arrive at home after yes. a work day drives mm-hmm. that as well. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, you get, they could spill a drink, a kid could spill a drink and it's no big deal at all. Mm-hmm. One day, mm-hmm. another day, it's like literally your entire day, but it's yes. probably because something earlier that them spilling yeah. the drink didn't mm-hmm. make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's how your emotions were at the point getting yes. there, Yes, which is that whole thing that Joe talked about in last episode about yeah. just how you end your day and getting yeah. you at a per- just a good yeah. place. Yeah. Super sure. important. I think knowing your vulnerabilities are really important. I, I personally teach a lot on this of like, okay, let's say when you get to work and you were early and you had your matcha and you know, everything went great. Something could happen and it doesn't really bother you as if, if you were late and you didn't get your coffee, uh-huh. and da, 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 you know, like knowing what makes you vulnerable mm-hmm. yep. And playing to those things, and I think is really also important in leadership. I even started to think about that, and just from a from a scheduling of your time perspective. Yes. If you are in the, if you are in this situation where you get the chance to kind of decide kind of where your time mm-hmm. does go as a leader, you might have more opportunities yep. of that. Yep. The importance of realizing like 
when you look at your schedule on today, mm-hmm. are you filling it with energy draining things that are going to make you end your day horribly? Yeah. Or are you making sure that you realize, okay, if, if this hour is going to be a really tough meeting, yep. what is after that? Yep. Because and if it's another it? tough meeting, <laughs> yeah. that person's going to get an even tougher meeting. Yes. Rather than what do I need to do in between mm-hmm. that and how can I schedule the activities that I'm even yep. doing yep. so that I can make sure that I go back into it with the same thing. Because mm-hmm. if you had your perfect coffee and this beautiful drive, yeah. you had this nice meeting and you could have the exact same meeting at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. Now you went through all these emails and these horrible days. That person's going to get a really bad version yes. of you. Yep. Yeah. And it could be the 100%. exact same situation. And that's not, yeah. like, people are human. That's how you are. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But you just have to learn how to avoid Mm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. but effective leaders do that well yes i think <laughs> yeah you know for sure yeah, so you can't always expect it to be perfect yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. i also yeah i loved his four core values too that was yeah. like really mm-hmm. cool and even maybe asking yourself too because even if you feel like i'm not a leader i don't have a leadership title in my you are a leader like you lead something in your home or you know, even if you're not a mom or a dad, you probably have nieces and nephews. Like you lead in some way, shape or form. You are a leader. And I think it's important to treat that as if that's so. But I think having values like core values in your life and knowing that will really help you make better decisions mm-hmm. in life as a leader. Yeah, I mean, someone's always watching everything you do. A hundred percent. Kids, whether 100%. it's employees, whether yes. it's other bosses, whether you're, mm-hmm. you have a lot more, because you always are more established than a bunch of people and yeah. way less established than yeah. other people. It's and true. And all the people underneath you, even yeah. when you feel like you have no clue what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know so much more than someone else and they're looking yeah. to you of like, yeah. it's... Yeah. But I do love, I mean, I, I think the importance of coaching and the importance of having Ugh. people around you is just, I can't stress enough. I've kind of implemented that and tried as best I can because it's just really, really important because it yep. can be lonely in leadership. Yes. Especially if you don't develop a culture of honest communication with people yep. because you can kind of be in this situation where mm-hmm. you can't share anything. Yeah. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. It yep. eventually leads to bad things that mm-hmm. aren't good for a person or whether it's yeah. you know, worse than that. It's just, yeah. it's important. But, and Jimmy didn't mention this on the podcast, but he is an author also of mm-hmm. many books, a lot mm-hmm. of incredible ones about leadership and about culture. One yeah. specifically is called Culturize. So we will definitely link all the books in the description below. I would highly recommend that you check him out. He's mm-hmm. very, very good at what he does. Yes, he is. And that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to have him on. He's just a knowledgeable guy, but mm-hmm. definitely show him support, support if you want. Mm-hmm. Do Twitter, tell him thanks for being on the podcast. And mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for everyone for being here. Yeah, we would love to also hear your comments. So if you're watching on YouTube, definitely comment below. We would love to hear your biggest takeaways or on Instagram screenshot this um, on your phone let us know what you took away and yeah we we appreciate every single one of you and every single comment yep but thanks for watching until next time thanks for listening to the scaling creative podcast we'll talk to you guys again real soon